Welcome to North Boston Korean United Methodist Church. Here we are a family that seeks to love others the way Jesus loved us and raise people up in his love. We are grateful to have you listening. Regardless of who you are, you are welcome here. For more information, check out our website at mbkumc.com. sermon series uh, our first week of our new sermon series past Easter um, I don't know how you guys have been I know this quarantine is going on longer than we thought it would um, but I really hope that in this time um, even though we don't get to see each other in person that you would be blessed that you would be strengthened um, as we continue on I really wrestled with the sermon series um, I really wanted to preach on Hebrews. I even had I even had a pun that I was going to do for the intro. I'm not going to do I'm not going to You guys have never mind. You guys have heard it already, but now I'm going to do it. Um So, no, but there's no people. Okay, no. Okay. See, inner battle. There's no people. I can't interact with you guys even if I make a pun. It's going to be silent, so I'm not going to do it. But yeah, I had everything prepared, and then God was like, nope, skirt, skirt. And he um, placed a very big sermon series on our laps. So um, we're going to be doing a sermon series called Koinonia. Some people like to pronounce it Koinonia. Um, and it means fellowship in Greek. And we'll be going through a sermon series through the book of Acts. We'll be going through the early church and how the early church processed the resurrection of Jesus. Um, and it's going to be a bit of a long sermon series because Acts is long. But I truly believe that this is what God is calling us to be, the early church. I, I don't know. I, I want to share this with you guys before we go into our sermon series. And um, this week as I've been praying for our church and we've had we've actually had um, a prayer meeting this past Thursday, um, a regional prayer meeting for for the leaders um, and the staff of various churches in the area to uh, really press into what God is doing and pray for one another and be a community for one another. And one of the things that I was really convicted in the midst of prayer was that God is calling this season <clears throat> for the church to be <clears throat> a season where all the frills of ministry are stripped away and we are all just called to do the bare basics the bare bones of what church should be i really believe that god is calling people and his church into a time of intimacy with him a time of being stripped down to what we need to do a time to contend for the gospel even when it is difficult even when our fates are tested to fight for the call um, and so We'll be going through this sermon series on, in Acts about how the early church was in order to regain our first love as a ministry as well, to see what God is doing in our midst. So we'll be opening up Acts chapter 1. If you guys can open up your Bibles with me or whatever devices you're reading from to Acts chapter 1. Um, I'm reading from the ESV as per usual but I actually suggest that if you have an 
if you have resources, even if there's discrepancy between what I'm reading and, and what you'd be reading off of your screens. Um, I actually highly recommend that you read from the NIV or the NRSV um, for the book of Acts because the author of this book is Luke and he was a doctor. So it might be easier to understand um, if you read from the NIV translation. I'll be reading from Acts chapter 1 verse 1 all the way up until Acts chapter 2 verse 4. Acts chapter 1 verse 1 all the way up until Acts chapter 2 verse 4. God's word is holy and perfect and we don't get to rise together. Um, but please treat it with the respect that it deserves as God's holy and perfect word. This is the word of the Lord. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had, been, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they had asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up into the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the woman and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. We're going to skip ahead to Acts chapter 2 verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared on them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in prayer? 
God, we surrender to you. Abba, we do not need to fight to be heard. We do not need to struggle to be known and loved by you. So God, as you, as you always do, preach whatever the heck you want to your people, I pray, God, that you would cut them to the heart, that your word would be like a double-edged sword, living and active, that you would cut to the motivations of their hearts. Father, Lord, we believe in a God that is almighty and powerful. We believe in a God that is greater than money, greater than security, greater than health. We believe in you. And we pray, God, that we would be a church that seeks the presence of God more than anything else in the world. In Jesus' name, I pray all these things. Amen. So today we are starting on this sermon series. Now I like, it's going to be, I want to give you guys an overview of the book because this is the beginning of an entire book. We are, this is an expository sermon series, so I will basically be going through the whole book. We'll be walking through the Acts of the Early Church together. Um, and the context of this book is that it's written by Luke to Theophilus. One thing to note about Luke is that number one, Luke is a doctor. Number two, Luke wasn't actually there when Jesus was alive. So Luke is actually the latest gospel to be written. He actually compiled all the gospels and other witness accounts and wrote down a comprehensive historically sound book, one while Jesus was alive and one of the church and the mission of the gospel after Jesus had died. So Luke, previously a physician, took on the role of historian and writes to Theophilus, a supposed theologian that might not, a Greek theologian or scholar that might not have believed in Jesus at the time. Um, but he writes, and Acts is about the early church. Now, what is the early church? The early church is the church of Jesus Christ in the first century after his resurrection and ascension. So it's the first generation while the apostles, previously the 12 disciples, are still alive. But Luke is not just about the early church. The centerpiece of Luke, although it's not spoken out, it's not going to be out front in any other chapter but this one. But the subject and the main idea of the book of Luke is the power of the Holy Spirit in the church. You will notice as we read the book of Luke, it's not going to mention what God says to people very often. All it's going to mention is how people encounter God and how people perform miracles. It's not going to really talk about God explicitly as much as the other Gospels. But the centerpiece of Luke is how the Holy Spirit exists in the church to help the church be a witness to the Gospel. I believe that God is asking us to listen to what he has to say through the book of Acts because our ministry lacks the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I believe that he is trying to bring about gospel-driven transformation by the power of the Holy Spirit. But the one thing to note 
about the power of the Holy Spirit is that it has a function for witness. I'm gonna say that one more time. The power of the Holy Spirit has a function for witness. It's not just to be like, oh, I am loved by God. Yes, victory in Jesus Christ. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. There's no condemnation in Jesus' name. The Holy Spirit, as, as God, God the Spirit, the third person in the Trinity, gives power to God's people to witness to the gospel. So that's what we're going to be talking about, okay? And in the beginning of chapter 1, it talks about, Luke, Luke introduces the book and it talks about the works of Jesus. The first thing it talks about, it says um, that while he was staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem and to wait on the promise of the Father. The words while he was staying with them actually translates more woodenly or more directly to while he ate with them or took salt with them. It's like a very, like kind of like abiding. He, while he ate with them, while he lived with them, while he conversed with them, every day, giving teaching and promise. He said, don't leave, wait on the promise of the Father. We see here a God that is very active with his people. And he says, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. This word baptism is actually kind of misleading um, because it's not talking about an actual baptism, but the word baptism actually def is defined as to be immersed. So it's saying that John immersed you in water for repentance, but I will immerse you, AKA dunk you in the Holy Spirit. And directly after his statement, the disciples ask him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, why, does, why do the disciples ask him that? If you can think about the context of Jesus' resurrection, right? They was about to die. The Jews were after their lives, right? They were literally quarantining themselves in, blocking every window and every door, making sure ain't nobody know they're there. Because if they get caught, they're screwed, right? And then Jesus resurrects. Not only does he resurrect, he freaking passes through walls. He passes through his, he's just like, Jesus is just like popping off at this point. You know what I mean? Because he's resurrected, it is finished. He's just, he's just going off. He's like passing through things, walking through walls. It all wouldn't even matter. He's walking around. He's dead walking around with holes in his hands. Like, let's think about that for a second. Y'all ever see somebody with, it's like a gauge, like a giant hole in your hands, right? And he's just walking around, like literally walking around, passing through doors. So the disciples, they're like, they're like living it. You know what I mean? Like they were, they went from, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? The one person that was our hope is gone. They went from grieving and hurting to like, holy moly, he's back <laughs> from the dead. And like in the body that he was hurting, he's really God. He's really the Messiah. And so they're like so excited. Now, 
If you were persecuted by people because you were following somebody good and that somebody passed away and then you were in danger, but then that somebody came back, what are you going to want? Retribution. Yes, vengeance is ours. Not necessarily vengeance, but it's like, haha, what goes around comes around. We were on the right side of history. Like, Jesus is gonna do what we knew he was gonna do. Like, now he's resurrected from the grave. Jesus is gonna flip all the tables. New Jerusalem is gonna be coming down. Ha ha ha, all these Pharisees is over for them. Like, oh, the end times, they're here now. Ooh, Jesus, like, you know what I mean? So what they were asking him is, Jesus, are you going to do everything that was written in the scriptures about what you were going to do? And what Israel genuinely thought the Messiah would do when the Messiah resurrects from the grave is take over Israel politically, be the royal ruler, the true and perfect King David, that Israel would reign supreme over the nations, no longer a colony. Judgment comes, <laughs> a new world. Justice for Israel, hashtag justice for Israel, right? That's what they were thinking. Jesus, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And what does Jesus say in response to their very excited question? This is my paraphrasing. It is not for you to know when God in his authority has set things to happen. But what you will do is receive power by the Holy Spirit and be my witnesses everywhere. <laughs> like, like, if you understand, this is hundreds of years of prophetic word that has been misinterpreted by Israel. And they have these expectations about what God should be as Messiah. They have these expectations of what God should do based off of what they learned. But Jesus says, in response to their expectations, he says, it is not for you to know when God and his authority has set things to happen. But what you will do is receive power by the Holy Spirit and be my witnesses everywhere. Now, this is a tough pill for them to swallow. Number one, because it's a breakage of expectation. It's a breakage of expectation of how God should be. I believe that we are all like this as well, to some degree. Jesus has just resurrected in our lives. We have just encountered the love of Jesus Christ. And then we go to Jesus. God, I learned in Sunday school and in youth group that you are so good to me, that your grace is everlasting to everlasting that your mercies and your blessings are new every morning that you love us so much 
and that you know the plans you have for us, that you are planning good things, that in all things you are working for the good of those who love you, who have been called according to your purpose. Just quoted like five verses. That neither height nor death, death nor anything on heaven and earth or below could ever separate us from your love, that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. So Jesus, are you going to do this for me? Are you going to do this for the world? God, you're so good. Of course you would do this. Of course you would do that. Of course you would shield me from pain and suffering. Of course I would walk down a flowery road. Because that's what you said. You said that I would have eternal life with you. That I'm with you for good. And then Jesus says, it is not for you to know when God and his authority has set things to happen. But what you will do is receive power by the Holy Spirit and be my witnesses everywhere. The reality is that in this, there is a breakage of individual will, a breakage of expectation. We thought we would reign supreme, but instead we have to serve. We thought we would be able to be united with Jesus, but instead we have to live for other people. We thought we would be called to joy and freedom and prosperity and all that is good in the world. And we have our own understandings of what freedom and joy should be. Because when we think freedom, like when I think freedom, I think give me liberty or give me death, right? The American Revolution. Um, and when I think joy, I think like, like laughing out loud for hours and hours just being so happy with my friends we have our own understandings of what God's blessings should be like and yet instead of that his call is to missions I believe that there is significance when Jesus breaks the paradigm that we ought to know when and in what time frame he moves, but instead are sent out. I believe that there is a dethroning in our hearts of a kingdom of one. My question for you after this first point is what have you expected God to be in your life? What do you expect God to do for you? 
Is God your ruler or is he your genie? How has he broken your expectations? What have you found hope and joy in? The love he provides for you or him? What do you follow? His promises or his presence? What is your objective and goal in being a Christian? To benefit or to believe? There's this breakage of expectation, this breakage of control. And instead of call to none other than witness. Now, what does it mean, Jane Doe, to be a witness? I don't understand that. Like, is this about world missions? Like, yes, partially, but what it means to be a witness, the word witness in this context is actually a legal, a legal witness. So a, a witness testifying in court. When a witness testifies in courts, they affirm something with what they've seen. They affirm or attest to something with what they've seen. And to be a witness is to affirm the reality of his presence. To affirm the reality of who he is in your testimony. That is the number one application of breaking your own will that Jesus has given. It is not for you to know everything that I'm about to do, but the Holy Spirit will be given to you in power and you will go and make disciples of all nations. Another thing to note is that he calls us not witnesses, not the witnesses, but his witnesses. Jesus claims us as his. This sermon is organized a little bit differently. So I'm gonna give a little bit of application before moving on to the next point. And that is the fact that we as a church, I've really been praying about why is it that the American church, why is it that the Massachusetts Korean church, why is it that North Boston Korean United Methodist Church, why is it that the Korean church of New England loses faith so easily in our relationship with God? Why is it that we get so idle in quarantine? Why is it that we lose sight of God? Why is it 
that we get so lazy. I, myself included, why is it that we get so lazy? Why, why is our hearts so prone to wander? Don't we all know the blessings of God? Don't we all know the resurrection power of who God is? Haven't we all learned in his word how important it is to follow him, how real the resurrection of Jesus Christ is? How come we are still stagnant when we are in the season of quarantine? And that is because we might not be witnessing in our lives. How are you witnessing? How are you witnessing to the gospel in your life right now? Do you go out of your way to talk to people about Jesus? Believers and non-believers. I'm not just saying go out and evangelize. How often do you share your life with your brothers and sisters? How often do you share your heart, but not your heart, because let's be real, guys. It's clear in God's word that as, as much as I love all of your stories and as much as I value every single one of you so deeply, the goal is not to value your own story. The goal of the witness is to affirm the existence of Jesus Christ. Our goal in sharing life be it our season or our whole lives, talking to one another is reminding one another and affirming the existence of Jesus Christ to one another. Because in our, in our own heads, we might be deluded, but when the witness is corroborated and shared, then it becomes a phenomenon. Witnessing to the gospel is the direct opposite of living out your own knowledge and your own will. The book is called Acts. And this book is all about this mission. which is carried out in the acts of the early church. But that's not the only thing. It's not just about as much as I could, yep, sermon over, let's just go into time of response. As much as I could just do that. Even in this, if I just left this here, I would be missing the point. The point is actually smack dab in the middle of that verse when it says, you will receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you. What is Jesus's main promise after his resurrection, after he is ascended into heaven? Jesus is Still, we are still, we are still, there, there is a denomination out there that calls themselves Acts 29. There are 28 chapters in Acts. Because we are still in this season, this era. 2,000 years is nothing to God, all right? 
It has been about 2,020 years since the birth of Jesus Christ, which means it's been less than two millennia since this began. All right? And this is about what is, what is the promise of Jesus Christ about in the era that we're in right now that started in the book of Acts? He promises the Holy Spirit. He promises the Holy Spirit. How does he promise the Holy Spirit? You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. In John 14, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit as a counselor. But in this part, Luke clarifies what the Holy Spirit is a little bit more specifically. Here, Jesus, as his physical presence leaves, while he is still with us, promises a different presence, which is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit then, we talk about, oh, spirit-led worship, like, oh my God, I was so blessed. I was so, the Holy Spirit was moving in our midst. And a lot of people get caught up, like, what is the Holy Spirit? Does the Holy Spirit still exist? Do spiritual gifts still exist? Is like, should we wear, like, you know, no, no, no. There are a lot of theological questions. And I'm not answering any of them. But it is clear that the Holy Spirit is not just a gimmick. The Holy Spirit is not just a mystical experience. The Holy Spirit is not just the enabling of an encounter. The Holy Spirit is the third member of God. The presence of God that is promised to us when Jesus' physical presence is ascended from the earth. The Holy Spirit, which rests in us, is God. God in us. 1 Corinthians says, don't you know that your body is a temple and that God's Spirit dwells within you? So if we paraphrase that a little bit more, it is not for you to know when God in his authority has set things to happen. But what you will do is receive power by God, the Holy Spirit, and be my witnesses. Now, what? So we see, we understand that Jesus promises his Holy Spirit, not just for the sake of presence, but for the sake of power. Now, what is power defined as? Are we just going to be like, yeah, you know, or are we going to like be like superhuman or like do we become like so we, we can just like do miracles like whatever um, power. The word, the definition of power here is the potential to function in some way. It's better translated to acts of power because the word power here is plural. So what it actually is, is acts of potential to function. Acts of potential to function. So we understand that the power of the Holy Spirit is not just for you or me to become anointed people. It's not just for you and me to enjoy his presence and chill here in this space as church. But the Holy Spirit is the power of God's presence promised and provided by Jesus 
for the life and the ministry of the church. The connotation of the word power here is that it is not just for your own blessing, but it is to make you effective for the mission of witnessing. That's very heavy and it's a lot because we are in a time where you guys are not hearing this sermon in person. We are all in our respective homes. Some of us might not feel his presence right now. Some of us have, might have been going through weeks of not experiencing him. Weeks of feeling like you're praying to a wall. To you, I stand with you. I relate to you. I empathize to you in every way because I'm a human being just like you. And I wrestle with that too. But a key component, and the rest of this is about three things. They appoint a new apostle after Judas Iscariot, the betrayer, died. And then they receive the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. The entire house fills with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit fills the entire house. And like little tendrils of fire. It's not actually fire, but I think it's the closest thing that people can use to describe it. You know how like UFOs are unidentified flying objects and like people have their own assumptions, but then they like try to identify what they can see, but it's not really close to what it is. It's kind of like that. Like they're looking at something that's unidentified and the closest thing it looks like is a flame, but it's not actually a flame. And these like little tendrils, they fall upon every head. And they start speaking in tongues. The word tongue here is actually languages. Languages. It's crazy. But I actually don't want to focus on the day of Pentecost this week. I want to focus on the fact that they prayed beforehand. When Jesus had ascended, and risen up. After they saw Jesus risen up, before the Holy Spirit falls on them, they go into the upper room and they pray. And then they return to Jerusalem, this is verse 12, from the map called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter, and John, and James, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the zealot, and Judas, the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. They devoted themselves to prayer in the upper room. The upper room is literally just upstairs wherever they were in their homes. They were all staying together. It sounds like they were all staying together, but it's not clear that they would all stay together like that. Um, and the word devoted actually means busily. It's like a, like they, they busily did prayer. They filled up their time with prayer. The verb emphasizes the continuous persistence of their devotion. The key to the word devotion was continuous Persistence. They were of one mind. 
It's not talking about the physical location of them being in one space and being together. But in their minds, they were of one mind. And that mind was prayer. You have to understand, they had come down, they had just seen Jesus ascended. They could have been do doing a dozen other things. You know what I would have done if I got home? What I would have done if I got home is I would have cooked myself a meal. I'd have watched some YouTube. I would have called it a day. I'd be like, Jesus, I'm going to talk to you tomorrow. What they did, because they are better than Jane. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. I don't know if they were better. They were just, we're all human. Anyway, um, what they did when they got home is they kept themselves busy with prayer before before the holy spirit came now the holy spirit in the book of acts is associated with salvation before the Holy Spirit came, while they believed in God, but they had not had a significant encounter of the Holy Spirit, they devoted themselves to prayer. They are just as prone to distraction as we are, but they devoted themselves to prayer. And this, this definition of prayer is not the one-liner you sing in between songs. It's not Maverick City being like, Jesus, we love you, in between songs. It is a desire, and I want to make this very clear. They prayed as a desire for the presence of God. Their prayer was a desire for the presence of God, manifested in talking to him. Manifested in talking to him. But why did they talk to God? And how did they talk to God? Why did they talk to God? Not to hear an answer. See, the disciples had already heard at that point that the Holy Spirit was going to come. Jesus had already promised things, and he said, I'm not going to tell you when. When anything is going to happen but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. They knew what was coming for them. So why did they pray? Why did they get on their knees and pray as soon as Jesus had ascended? I believe it is because that they needed to pray to keep their hearts focused on Jesus and not on their own will. That it takes prayer and that the significance and the purpose of prayer is not to have our requests answered by God. Although it does says in his words that when you make your requests in prayer and supplication, be known to God that God in his peace provides for you. Their purpose of prayer was not to have Jesus be a vending machine. Their purpose of prayer was because their hearts were so prone to wander that they needed to seek after the presence of God before the Holy Spirit had come. They needed to pray. Not that that prayer makes them any closer to God. It's not like a transactional experience with God where when you talk more with Jesus, all of a sudden you are closer to Jesus than before. That's not what was going on here. The reason why they prayed is because they needed it. 
They needed prayer to fix their eyes on Jesus. They needed prayer to stop wanting to know and start witnessing to the gospel. They needed prayer to prepare themselves for the Holy Spirit. They needed prayer to break in their will before the breakthrough came. Before the breakthrough came, before Pentecost came, they needed to be broken in by the discipline of fixing their eyes on God. They needed to look at Jesus and not at their own will, not at their own desire, not at what they wanted for their lives right now because all of them had something that they wanted. But understanding that whatever Jesus is offering is better and greater and far more extensive than whatever their will could be, they needed prayer to focus on that more than their own selves. And that's why they prayed. They prayed because they needed to talk to God, not just because they needed answers. It was the persistence of prayer before the breakthrough. And then Pentecost comes. One day, they're still together. They're still worshiping. They're still believing. Jesus Christ fills the house. Not the temple, not the church, the house, the upper room, the bedroom chamber. Because God is not limited to anything. If he wants to let you up, right there, wherever you guys are, in the chair that you are sitting on. It's gonna happen. But it might be easy for you to miss. It might be easy for you to miss the Holy Spirit. If you ain't even focused on Him. See, it was in that place of persistence that when the Holy Spirit filled the room, They were receptive. They were open. And the Holy Spirit, once the Holy Spirit falls on them, the Holy Spirit ain't just, it's not just like, oh yes, we're on fire for God. Oh my God, life is great. Yes, let's just hang out together. <laughs> that wasn't the point of the Holy Spirit. The point of the Holy Spirit was the witness. The point of the Holy Spirit was the witness. But Jane, though, I have a hard time praying. I feel you. To whomever has a hard time praying in this season, filled with anxiety and uncertainty, I feel you. Yesterday, I was at a lot, literally, I can't tell you how much anxiety I have day by day as all my friends' parents pass away. Like it is very, every day, every day, I, have ki I kid you not, every day this week, there has been news. And I am away from them. So every day, 
my anxiety gets even more heightened. And I feel you. Because in the minute when your anxiety and your eyes get filled with words around you, it's hard to pray. It's just hard to pray. And sometimes it's just nicer to lay down. I get it. It's nicer to have fun with each other. But I want you to know that they busied themselves and persisted because they needed it. Not because they were any good, guys. It's not because the early disciples were holy. Peter denied Jesus three times. And Peter is the head apostle in this time. And this time, Peter is the rock. Peter is the main one leading everybody. But he's the one that denied Jesus three times. It's not because they're any good that they're busying themselves with prayer. It's not because they're any closer to God. It's because they needed it. And we need it. We need it. Even if we don't want to, we need it. God deserves it and we need it. Because his call is not for us to know everything. But his call for us upon saving us, healing us, redeeming us, restoring us, setting us free from the shackles of sin, redeeming us from the powers of hell, reconciling us to himself and to each other, giving us freedom and eternal life, promising love, everlasting love, upon all of these things that he did in his death and in his resurrection, his call is to be a witness by the power of the Holy Spirit. And it takes persistence to let go of what we want, even after a salvation as grandiose as the cross. How can we apply this into our lives? Church is not for ourselves, but it's for others. We cannot focus all our energies on our own church. We cannot focus our energies on ourselves and our own faith. Just because you've had a spiritual conversation with me doesn't mean you've been a witness. Let's be real here. The main brokenness of our church is sometimes that we have a really hard time witnessing because the world is scary and because it's hard to share. But it ain't about us. It's never been about us. We cannot focus all our energies, even just on our own church, but we need to reach our city, our region, other regions. There's a burden on God's people to love others past the boundaries of ethnicity, and language and geographical space. Right now, as your pastor, I am discerning what that means for our church to be missional in this time of COVID. Because guys, we are so damn sheltered. It is not okay. No wonder our heads are overgrown and our arms our legs 
our undergrowth, our knowledge of God is filled, but we are too weak to carry it out. It takes moving. It takes acting in the spirit. Not for our own sakes, but the sake of other people. Not only that, God does not just call us to mission. He calls us into his presence. He calls us into his presence. Prayer is a surrender of our will and a willingness to come before God, no matter what we're feeling. Prayer is not based on how you feel. Prayer is based on a surrender of your will. Prayer has the power to change how you're feeling. Prayer has the power to change your heart. Because the point of prayer is to grow close and to acknowledging God. I was having this conversation with somebody recently. Jane, I don't feel close to God right now. I don't know what to do. I don't feel close to God right now. And I was reminding, actually I had that conversation a lot with people this week, but I was reminding that the reason why we read and the reason why we pray is not because that makes us closer to God. It's because we need to be reminded of his presence in order to grow closer to, in order to, not, not in order to grow closer to God. That is theologically incorrect. We need these spiritual disciplines to be able to recognize his presence in our life. We need our eyes and our ears to be opened by the disciplining of our own souls through prayer and supplication, through reading and sharing, through living out the gospel, in order to be able to recognize how God is with us right now. Because when we don't practice these disciplines, even when Jesus is screaming in your ear, you're not going to be able to hear it. Even if Jesus is crying out for your, your heart, you're not going to be able to catch that. Even if the Holy Spirit is chilling right here, you're not going to be able to receive it. Because you won't be able to recognize it. It is a discipline to tap into the presence of God. And that's why we pray and that's why we read. Not because we're not already close to God, because we are already close to God. Praise Jesus that we are close to God regardless of what we do. But what we do is for our own sakes. Because we need it. It is time for us as a church to recognize the commission of the gospel. To recognize the significance in faith and how to stay fixed on God. Jane, I haven't been doing any of these things. Jane, I haven't been able to pray and I haven't been able to do any of these things. I feel like I've lost sight of God and I feel really guilty about it. If that's your heart, there is grace for you right now. Right now. Right now. As you feel whatever you're feeling, self-condemnation, guilt, conviction, offense, 
Maybe you're offended. There is grace for you right now. Because the point of God revealing things in our hearts through his word is never to condemn us. It's always to correct us. Because he loves us. And he's taken away judgment and given us conviction instead and an opportunity and a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance. Maybe for some of you that's harder to receive. But it doesn't matter because it's open to you. Because we need it, church. We need God to love God, to seek God. We need God to follow God, to recognize what the heck he wants from us and what our fundamental commission is. This word that Jesus has given us, it ain't based on your conviction. It is fundamental to your salvation. Seeking out the presence, being a witness, that's just something that comes along with your relationship with God. So let's take some time to pray together. Where do you stand right now? Where are you right now? we lift up a prayer, a persistent prayer, asking for God to come and dwell with us, asking God for grace in this moment, that our conviction would turn into commitment. Lift up a prayer with me. From wherever you are listening, we hope you are blessed by this week's message. For more information, check out our website at mbkumc.com.